his wrath. Are you all already uncomfortable? (laughs) All right, let's deal with this first one, jealousy. We'll get to the other two here in a second. But jealousy. Exodus 34 and verse 14. Go back to verse 12. Take heed to yourself, to thyself, that lest... You make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither you go, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But you shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. Why? For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Amen? <laughs> All right. This is, predi- this is definitely predicating something to be true of God, that God is jealous. A, a truth of God. And our, our, does, if you will spend any real time listening to what people retort (laughs) when this subject is broached, Uh, they would say, look, God is jealous and therefore petty. That is an atheist understanding of what this is. I I think it was uh, Richard Dawkins' famous famous, uh, uh, pseudo-intellectual... atheists that called God jealous and proud of it there and then went on to talk about all the pettiness that he believed God was guilty of based upon jealousy. This is not something negative though. This is not a negative. This is a wonderful truth of God. God is jealous. Um, Some of the divine attributes we've seen Uh, like goodness, grace, love, and even as we're talking about righteousness, seem to contradict uh, the ideas that we're going to talk about now, his his jealousy, his hatred, and his wrath. Uh, But they're not contradictory, and I want to show that today. There are two words, one from the Hebrew, uh, one from the Hebrew, which is... uh, Kana, well, I probably took too one too many words in there. That's the Hebrew word, and the uh, Greek word would be zealos. That's an that's what we call an onomatopoeia, right? Uh, it, it, it is something meant to describe what it uh, describe the sound of what. It's the sound of boiling, uh, in, in, as it's pronounced there in the Greek. Uh, so, what is what are these things? Well, this is passionate 
zeal. Passionate zeal uh, that is meant to guard the exclusiveness of a marriage covenant. Leading to anger against an unfaithful spouse. That's really kind of the, con- the, the, the connotation, especially in this word kana in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, some of, some of, when we're reading the law, we often run into things that seem odd. Uh, we, we remember in Numbers chapter 5, for instance, there was an offering of jealousy. You all remember reading before about the offering of jealousy, whereby if a husband expect, expect, suspected, not expected, if a husband suspected uh, unfaithfulness, he could bring his wife before the priest and have an offering of jealousy made that, was, that had the intent of testing the conscience of the wife. Uh, so... Scripture, and, and John Frame makes this assertion that he does not believe, and I, I agree with him as I try to think, and he's going to give one exception here, uh, does not present jealousy necessarily as a negative trait. Uh, one, one, one place that someone could derive that from is Song of Solomon 8.6, where it says in the... Uh, yeah, the King James translators were said, jealousy is cruel as the grave. And that, that word cruel in context would, be, would take a meaning more as fierceness. It fiercely avenges. Uh, and, and in fact, in that same context, it talks about, it compares it with the flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord himself. In Song of Solomon eight six, so we would talk about God as being as having a fiery jealousy, a fiery jealousy. And what is jealousy? Jealousy is the prerogative of love. Jealousy is the prerogative of love, um, and it, it's a proper attitude. And we live in such a, a perverse culture where, where marital infidelity is, is seen as nothing that is taboo. In fact, we, you almost, if you were to get into the dark crevices of the internet, you would find entire groups of, of, of people who talk about practicing things like open marriages where infidelity is just what they do. But what do you have there? You have a husband and or a wife that does not really care about their spouse. That will allow them to go on and sin for their own selfish purposes. That is not God's relationship with us. Jealousy is the prerogative of the spouse, particularly in the scriptures, the prerogative of the husband, whereby he is rightly zealous, one, for the purity of his object, 
He wants the spouse to be pure. Spousal purity. Is that a good thing? He wants spousal purity and exclusiveness of love. The, the, the feminist trope of uh, you don't own me. <laughs> uh, uh, God wants us to be pure and He wants us to faithfully serve Him alone. That is His nature. So... Kana can also be as jealousy is in our modern English. Sometimes you can run into this word and it is something very negative. It is something more close to the idea of envy, but not when we're applying it to God. God is not envious. God is jealous in this greater sense. We can say almost that there are two types of jealousy that are described in the Bible. One that is more close that 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 that, that seeks after faithful love and the other that is envious. One is sinful but God is not envious of anything. He is all in all. He, he, he is not envious of anything in your life. He wants what's good for you, and that what's good for you is your exclusive love towards Him and your exclusive faithfulness towards Him. Uh, the, the sin of envy is, is brought out sin of covetousness, thing of that, things of that nature. But the Scripture treats jealousy and envy as two different distinct ideas. And even though sometimes they can be caught in the, in the same semantical range of a specific word, like zealous, zealous in the uh, Greek, um, we're often going to have that translated as envy, but we're often going to have that translated as zeal. You hear the word zeal there. Is zeal a good thing? Is it a good thing for you to be zealous after the Lord? Yeah, of course it is. So we have to be mindful of speaking of these things contextually. Uh, due to our Exodus chapter uh, 20, for instance, we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. If you want to go back a few pages, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 and verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt bow down thyself to, thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God's predicating this of himself. He's jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and so on and so forth. But why? Showing mercy. We talked about mercy being this covenantal love. The act, showing, showing steadfast love. Showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So even this idea of jealousy here in the Ten Commandments is connected with this idea of faithfulness. 
in this covenantal love that we have with our God, which I hope we have, every single person sitting here, I hope that that is uh, a truth of God. All right, so the reason here for the prohibition of idolatry is God's jealous. And God's jealousy is always, in the Scripture, Frame points out, against idolatry. God does not want you worshiping anything else. This hits home because have we been 100% faithful to our Lord? I'm just, I, I'm just answer, asking that question for myself. Well, then we fall under the jealousy of our Lord. This has real meaning to us. There's a close connection between the divine jealousy and His name. We just saw that in Exodus 34. My name is Jealous. What, what does that mean? It, it, it's talking something, it's telling us something about His very nature. And His nature is love. And if there's love, there's jealousy. Not jealousy in a negative sense, like you have Marlon Brando and, and, and what do they call that? Uh, uh, that t- a wife beater t-shirt. Uh, that, they got that from that, uh, that old Marlon Brando movie where he was abusive and they've always called that shirt that name ever since. But uh, that, that, that just caveman uh, idea, this is not, we, we are, this is God being zealous after uh, love. Here's something, I, my thought is this. God has a right to your faithfulness. He has absolute right to your faithfulness. He has absolute right to your faithfulness because of who He is as Lord. There is no equal to Him, to what He has done in His love towards you. He has an absolute right to your faithfulness. Just like like a husband or a wife has a right to expect faithfulness in a marriage. And we do not have the right. I want to stress this. No one has the right to take His name and to be unfaithful to Him. We just, that's not within the realm of the possibilities when we're dealing with the Lord. This righteous, merciful, loving God who has by grace entered into a covenant with us. We have no right to unfaithfulness. This goes against our culture. Our culture says, I have a right to whatever I want, whenever I want. And this bleeds into the church. We're going to have the Super Bowl tonight, right? I probably ain't going to watch it because it's not on any of the streaming services I have, so I'm, I'm happy with that. But we're going to have a Christian, two Christian commercials that they spent millions and millions of dollars. And you know what those Christian commercials are going to tell the world? God gets you. Kind of like, He just understands the way I am. And what's the, what's the implication? You have nothing to repent of. God understands you, wink, wink. 
Yeah, yeah. And the, and the underlying message is, there's no need for you to repent. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a Christian message for millions and millions of viewers tonight for, during the Super Bowl that's going to tell people that they don't have any need of repentance towards God. That they can continue on in, on in whatever desire, seeking whatever desires they have, no matter how opposite they are to God, God understands them and loves them anyway. What is it ignoring? It's ignoring God is a jealous God. And He's rightly jealous. And will not allow us to go on in our unfaithfulness. And in fact, most people who view that message will be encouraged in their sin and will continue on in their sin without any call to repentance from their sin. It's sad. It's sad that our culture has embraced this idea that we're in some kind of open marriage with God and we can do whatever we want That's not the God of the Scriptures. God's jealousy is for His great name. If you're living for something, if, if you take up His name, and you're living for something, something else that does not glorify His name, He is jealous for His name. He will not give His glory to another. He's not going to say, okay, yeah, that sin that you enjoy right there, that's perfectly all right. I'll give my glory to that, and it's perfectly all right if you go ahead and... That's not our God. He will not give His glory to another. Jealousy is an attribute of God, a description of His divine nature. It is what He by nature is and what by His nature has a right to. Exclusive worship and allegiance. In the Bible, the emphasis on jealousy, said Frame, we have this analogy between God's covenant and the marriage relationship. It's for this very reason of God's jealousy that we have a correlation often in the scriptures, places like Ezekiel 16 and stuff like that, that, that says idolatry, well, I'm not going to write it, equals adultery. Idolatry equals adultery. Worshiping anything other than God equals adultery. And we have that constant analogy that is being brought forth. That disloyalty to God lies at the heart of you seeking something other than God. And that's true in both sides of any marriage relationship. Both sides of the marriage relationship. What should the husband? What should the husband expect from the wife? Loyalty. What should the wife expect from the husband? Loyalty. It's what, what they've coveted. I'm, I'm afraid that that's not the idea that people have about their salvation. That they are now in a covenant with Christ. Love is exclusive to both the husband and the wife. So God's jealously, it clearly manifests His lordship. 
when it says our God has wrath, when, I, when we're going to talk about in a, in a little bit our God having hatred, this takes in these ideas. Our God is a consuming fire. He is this zealous, this bubbling forth, this boiling. And that's good. Can we imagine God being a husband like the husbands, if they've been said, of our culture? His jealousy is not inconsistent with his love. It is not inconsistent with his goodness. It is consistent with the nature of a God who loves and cares about the object that he has entered into covenant with. When that, when that covenant faithfulness is violated, when that love is violated, he behaves just like a godly husband would. Jealous. And there's nothing at all evil or wrong or petty about that. A shallow culture says alone will say that there is. It reflect this when we're looking at this truth reflects the intensity of God's love towards us. If it wasn't there, just like it would be with the modern, modern, enlightened husband, it'd only be proof that God didn't really care. But he does. There's a reason why God in the economy of Israel made adultery a capital crime. Seriously, <laughs> right? <laughs> we read about it and we're like, this is barbaric that they were to be stoned for adultery. And I'm not saying, saying that any view of theonomy, any view of applying God's law to our civil government needs to make these things capital crimes. But there in the economy of Israel... As the Ten Commandments were being applied to their civil law, God says, in case law for Israel, bring them forth and have them stoned. And the message is loud and clear, is it not? God takes unfaithfulness seriously. God judges it. God despises it. God boils in wrath against it. And we saw it in the civil law as, that, as, 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 as real cases were brought before the judges there in Israel. God says, Israel, this is what you do. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus said, it's ground for divorce, right? <laughs> Except it be for the cause of fornication. He didn't... And the woman taken in adultery was brought before him, and he did not say to stone her. We have very good grounds for not trying to apply a case law of the law that was given to Israel to our context. 
But adultery is idolatry still. And I believe in Romans 7, Paul made that same connection about his covenant, about his envy, about covetousness, about lust being so. All right, so that gets us into a second subject, God's hatred. I don't know how far we can get in this in the next 15 minutes. So we talked about jealousy. Now we'll get into the second portion. This is a little bit harder to talk about because it just is. Could we say God is hate? (laughs) Do you all feel comfortable saying God is hate? No. I don't feel comfortable saying it. It is difficult. Uh, uh, First of all, I want to say this. Hate is a negative term. (laughs) It is. And even scripturally speaking, uh, in the Old Testament, it is sane. And uh, that's we find in Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers sin. Hatred definitely negative there. Hatred bad. Love good as we practice it. So I'm not. So so we're going to have to tiptoe through this, but uh, a little bit, and have a little bit more discernment as we talk about the subject of what God hates. But He does hate things, right? And that is His hatred is congruent with His nature. These six things does the Lord hate. That's not saying the Lord is sinning. That's saying God is righteous. And he hates these unrighteous things. And there's other such declarations. But this is, this, this is not necessary. This is not... We have to, we have to know that such as... Such as um, it says, you shall not hate your brother. Right? Uh, we're going to have to be discerning here. But we are to hate evil. Psalm 97, for instance, says, hate evil. So there are things here about this that we need to imitate. Godly hatred is directed against, not only against evil deeds, ways, and falsehoods, but also against evil people. I hate the double-minded Psalmist said, Psalm 119. Psalm 139, do not I hate them that are your enemies. Now, this then seems to recommend to us that hatred in some contexts is good and hatred in other contexts is evil. So we're going to have to discern a little bit about this. There are different kinds of hatred or different situations in which it is appropriate and which it is not appropriate. And whatever we talk about under God's hatred is always appropriate. First, uh, Frame makes this point. That 
hate in the scriptures does not always refer to hostility. For instance, it says that Jacob loved Rachel but hated Leah. Did that mean he had hostility towards Leah? No, it, it, it didn't. And in fact, in the entire context is he did not have the same kind of love and the same kind of desire towards Leah that he had towards uh, or that he had towards Rachel. The term hate there does not mean is not mean to be taken uh, so strongly that we're talking about hostility. In fact, in the th- in verse thirty of that same context in Genesis twenty nine, he loved Rachel more than Leah. That's that 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 is what comparatively what was being talked about. Um, similarly, Jesus calls us to hate our families. Does that mean I, I need to be hostile towards? <laughs> right? Does he not say this gets into that subject? Uh, if if a man comes to me and does not hate his mother, father, you know, children, uh, those things, right? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Okay, I think that's in Matthew 10, Luke 14, uh, John 12. Uh, in even our own lives, hate our own lives. Does that mean we need to start being hostile to the fact that we're breathing right now? <laughs> so, so we're not talking about hostility here. What are we talking about? We're talking about, just like with the idea of Rachel and Leah, that comparatively speaking, one is desired and the other is not. Comparatively speaking, uh, to take, take the idea that you're supposed to hate your mother and father if you're going to follow Christ. Uh, first of all, the scriptures say, honor your father and mother. <laughs> Amen. That does not set that aside. But when it comes to following Christ, to doing what Christ wants, which one is to be followed? And then we have, so we have a comparative idea. Not, these terms are never meant to, this, this term hate there is never meant to bring this idea of hostility you need to start being hostile towards your wife and hostile towards your children. No, you need to follow Christ so closely that, that comparatively speaking, the same may be said about Rachel and Leah uh, uh, that was said about Jacob with Rachel and Leah. I love my Lord and I need to follow my Lord. And if, they, and, and if I, for instance, in my own life wants this, and Christ wants that, and I despise what I want and take Christ. That's the, that's the indication there, right? That's understandable? So, all right, so I, I don't look like I got four heads up here, like, like I'm some kind of monster per se. But we're talking about comparative. We're not talking about hostility here. Further, even when hatred includes hostility, the hostility is to be understood essentially as a policy of opposition. Just as love in the scripture is both an act and a feeling, said frame, so the same may be said about hate. So to hate someone means that you oppose their goals. You oppose their ends. You oppose what they're trying to do. You are you are not necessarily uh, you are not necessarily 
hating them as such as you are standing in opposition, um, trying to prevent them from succeeding. That's often the hostility that we understand. You can love one person in one... So in this opens up the idea, you can love someone in one sense and yet oppose them. Stand opposite and even as an enemy to what they are doing. And that's a good thing. I remember... Uh, I don't often... <laughs> I get kicked out of these circles, apparently. Uh, but I remember talking to, to, um, to some people in drug treatment once, and I was just bringing up this idea... It's good that you have everyone who has ever got sober had someone that opposed them in it, had someone that pushed them back, hated what they were doing, hated what they had become because of their sin, hated that and pushed back on them, became a point of resistance that's carried in this idea of hating. So if we go on in our sin... Is God just like, oh well, go ahead, I'm lucky I caught that. Or is God hate our sin, oppose himself to our sin, hostile towards our sin? That is our God. Therefore, Prophet says, the meaning of hate, therefore, is like the meaning of love. There are times where love is not always a good thing in the scriptures either. You can love your, love your sin, for instance. Everybody say, well, well, as long as there's love, everything's all right. <laughs> right? Well, Jesus says, you're condemned. I hope the people are condemned because they loved darkness instead of light. That was a bad kind of love. There is a context to this idea of love. Just like with jealousy. Uh, God's love has jealousy. That's a good kind of love. Uh, a love that doesn't have jealousy is probably not a good kind of love at all because it really doesn't care it's not love all right so so context is love is not always good hate is not always bad we've got to know these things uh, contextually and we have to look at them contextually for instance in proverbs chapter oh my we're running late and i didn't even get into this subject very deeply i want to want to hurry up in the next five minutes and just try to get somewhere with this um so, in Proverbs ten twelve, where it contrasts love with hate, so, uh, um, the two are not always that incompatible. They are directly incompatible in that context, but not always. Um, and we see that with the imprecatory psalms. Um, we, 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 can, we can rightly pray against people. Like I've gotten to the point where I'm now praying against and I feel like I need to pray against our leaders and against our country. Why? Because they're doing wickedly. I I have a hard time praying God bless America anymore. I can't. God make America repent. That, 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 is, that is the heart of the imprecatory psalms and imprecatory prayers of the Bible. You can't pray for someone's wickedness. You can't wish them well. God hates wickedness and He hates the wicked. 
It says that in the scripture, Psalm 5, I hate the wicked. It means he's opposed to them. He's opposed to their ends. He's opposed to their deeds. He's opposed to everything they want to accomplish. And that's a good thing. And sometimes this hate, the hatred of God has awful consequences. God destroys his enemies. He will, every one of them, unless they repent. Praise God, you and I were once his enemies. We were once the enemies of God. It doesn't always end up in hell for all those that God hates. God once hated me. In the sense that God was once hostile towards my ends, my goals, my desires. But He in mercy saved me. So this doesn't necessarily always mean that God, that God, uh, God can love and hate the, within the same, the same person in different context. I was once the object of God's hate, and now I'm the object of His love. And this falls into this idea of jealousy that you and I were talking about. If I was to be unfaithful to God right now, would God, would God not hate those unfaithful ends of mine? Yes. All this means is, is our God can discriminate. Another, these, these, these words came up, have got negative commentations now, but God discriminates. This I love, this I hate. And that can have terrible consequences for those that continue on in the things that God hates. Once again, going back to the Super Bowl tonight, everybody's going to get this Christian message. God loves you just as you are. He loves everything about you. No, He doesn't. God is opposed to your sin. Well, of course it's not. I put Christian in quotes. He gets you. I, I just can't even. We live in such a world where we say God does not hate anything that you're doing. And therefore you don't need to repent at all. God does hate your sin. God is opposed to it. And if you die in your sins... God will destroy you as an enemy of His. This is not this just like jealousy is not is not contradictory to His love. Indeed, all that He does advances the purposes of His love. In fact, He loves us so much that He will despise sin and one day remove it completely from our reality. But we can't go around saying God is hate <laughs> the same way that we say God is love, as if it's a, divining, a defining attribute of God, but rather it's a subset of His love. Uh, because God loves, He hates. The Scriptures bring that out often. And we could almost say that uh, just like... Just like uh, that it's not a defining attribute. We could say God is love because there was a point before creation where hatred was not a reality, maybe. That there was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Was there any hatred that existed then? 
So we could say God is love as a defining truth of God. But in reference to His creation, in reference to his, uh, this, this, uh, the advent of sin, the exercise of God's hatred, the subset of God's love is something that is exercised and come to fruition. But God, even in the planning of sin, hated it so much that He sent Christ to destroy it on the cross. So we can even say that it's defining in the sense that God has always been hostile to that which is sinful, even if it was just existing in His plans before He created Just like God is love can be misunderstood, so when we talk about God hating things, that can be misunderstood. Uh, There are greater risks, I think, when we talk about this idea. I I know that there's been churches that have split over the idea that God doesn't hate anything. And someone someone quotes Psalm 5, God hates the wicked. And and that spawns off into this hostility within the church. I, I knew a church in South Carolina that literally split over this idea. But it's scriptural. God hates things. God is openly opposed to the wicked. And I was among those that he opposed once. I was an enemy of God, outside of the covenant of God, without, God, without hope. But he saved me. He reconciled me to himself. He brought me into the covenant of love with him through Jesus Christ. So, whatever we say about his, about the hatred of God, it's not contradicting his love. It exists as a subset thereof. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? I went a few minutes over. Next week, we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to finish our discussion of God's wrath or God's righteousness. Well, we may finish it. And we're going to talk about his wrath. That is a real bugaboo, if you will, to our society, especially to our he gets us ideology uh, that the God does have wrath. And we must call people to repentance. It's sad. It's, I, I know I brought, keep bringing this he gets us a campaign up. But it's so sad that we live in a Christian culture, a Christian culture in America that will not call anyone to repent. That's what it is. It's, 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 it's sad. Yes? Nope. Freely. Yep. Yeah. Freely by His grace, freely by His love. So you're saying that God didn't love me because I was handsome? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Brother Jimmy? God said, I I like Jason Tackett because he's handsome. (laughs) And I'm going to save him. And I'm going to love him. Amen. All right, well, uh, hopefully that was uh, some food for thought today. And, and I'm not saying don't go watch a Super Bowl. So <laughs> I'm not because I don't have a streaming service that carries it. And I'm not going to get a computer out to, to, to watch it. So I'm going to.
Yeah, they're here. All right, let's be dismissed. Or be dismissed. We've got 10 minutes.